I'm Hank Belfield, pastor at Providence Presbyterian Church in Chilhowee, Virginia. And I'm Jay Bennett, pastor at Neon Reformed Presbyterian Church in Neon, Kentucky. And I'm Corey Page, a student at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And we're we're the the Geneva Geneva Mountain Boys. We want to welcome you to this next episode of our podcast. As you may recall, if you're a listener to us thus far, we've covered a few areas about the Protestant Reformation. This year, 2017, marks the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, when Martin Luther, a German monk, tacked his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and started a movement that has lasted to this very day, a movement back to the gospel and back to the Bible. So far in our podcasts, we've covered the formal principle of the Reformation, sola scriptura, scripture alone, and we've also covered some of the material principles of the Reformation, sola gratia, by grace alone, and sola fide, by faith alone. Today, we want to move on to another important principle that's vital for the New Testament people of God to embrace and to hold forth, and it's the idea of solus Christus, or solo Christo, meaning in Christ alone, or by Christ alone. And this is an emphasis on the reality that there is no other way that we can go to heaven, no other means of salvation than the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. So let's open the discussion and uh, uh, talk a little bit about what the Scripture says about this. We're living in a day and age, gentlemen, where um, people look at our world and say it ought to be open-minded. There are so many religions out there. There are so many different uh, approaches uh, to conviction and belief and lifestyle. Uh, our culture in the United States uh, touts the, the virtue of, of tolerance and multiculturalism. Um, and that has spilled over into the convictions and the teaching and preaching of many churches, arguing that we can go to heaven as long as we're sincere, no matter what we believe. And yet it's important for us to recognize how uh, vital it is that we uh, adhere to the biblical doctrine that it's only in Christ alone. Uh, let's uh, start off with you, Jay. What, what, uh, what scriptural uh, guidance can we gain that shows uh, that Christ is the only way? Yeah, I think uh, a key text, uh, you just mentioned a moment ago before we began the podcast, a key text in that regard is uh, John 14 and verse 6. Of course, in that passage, Jesus <clears throat> is in the upper room. Uh, with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. And uh, John is uh, leading us through uh, what Jesus had to say to his disciples on that evening uh, as he prepared them for what was about to happen. And um, after they've had the Passover together, uh, they're... Uh, the, the way the text reads, they're sitting around talking, this sort of thing. And, and uh, Philip uh, says to Jesus, just show us the Father and it's enough for us, right? And uh, you, you hear in that, um, that uh, 
request. I think you hear an echo of what Moses asked of the Lord during the Exodus when he came to to the Lord and said, just show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And it's this idea of uh, he wants to to have assurance of his of his faith, um, uh, more certainty with regard to um, his faith in the Lord and and even more intimate fellowship and communion with the Lord. And uh, you hear that in Philip's uh, request. And of course, Jesus responds famously uh, saying, um, have I been with you so long and you still don't don't know me? Right. And in the context of explaining that um, uh, to be with Jesus, to be with the incarnate son is to be with the father, not because the son is the father, but because of the mutual indwelling of the three members of the Trinity, uh, that the father indwells the son, the son indwells the father and, and the spirit and, and on down the line. Um, uh, in the context of that, he says to the disciples, to Philip and to the rest of the disciples, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. And so Jesus is saying there that uh, the way to the father is exclusive. Uh, there's no other way. He's the only way. He's unique uh, in that respect. I'd say that was that's a key uh, scriptural um, uh, proof, I would say, dealing with that issue of the exclusivity of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, and I, I think there's something to be said about that passage, too, uh, that it has certain Old Testament um, illusions. Um, the, the children of Israel uh, were an exclusively chosen people, mm-hmm. and God gave unto them an exclusive covenant and God gave to them a particular way of approaching him. And it was through the sacrifices and through the priesthood that God had appointed. Uh, It wasn't open to debate. Israel was set apart from the rest of the Gentile nations to be God's peculiar people in the Old Testament period of time. And this way of approaching God was prescribed by the Lord. Mm -hmm to teach his chosen people that they couldn't just approach him in any way they wanted or how the Gentiles may have preferred, but they were to approach him as God had ordained. Mm. And I I think there is something uh, marvelous about when Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, uh, that we're reminded of the fact that there's only one avenue Mm -hmm. Uh, to come into the Father's presence. And this has connotations to, to the priesthood, the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things mm-hmm. are, are, are subsumed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's so important. Um, Corey, are there any other passages that might shed some light biblically? Okay, one place that we can go in Scripture is Acts chapter 4. Uh, it says, And there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this this uh, gives us some indication that even the apostles, as they began to preach the word and spread the gospel abroad, uh, they wanted to emphasize the reality that salvation comes in no other than Jesus Christ. Hmm. Uh, because there, Peter is, is clearly talking about Christ 
um, he speaks in the prior verse of the stone which was rejected by the builders becoming the chief cornerstone using the metaphor of a, a building the cornerstone being the most important stone the first stone that's laid down from which all the other stones are organized and set and the edifice has a strong foundation and is built up uh, christ is that that cornerstone mm. and uh it, it emphasizes how important he is um can you men think of any other passages that might uh demonstrate for our listeners that the bible teaches this principle of exclusivity in christ that there's no other way except through him yeah, I, I think uh, when you look at the Apostle Paul's argument in Romans chapter 3, of course, in the first, in the first uh, three and a half chapters, uh, he uh, basically throws the whole world under the bus. So everyone who's ever been born after Adam is condemned uh, under the law of God, condemned in their sin, and justly deserving his wrath and curse. And apart from some uh, uh, redemptive work on God's part, uh, that's our, our end. That would be our end. Mm-hmm. And so he transitions, of course, in uh, chapter 3 and verse 21 uh, to this idea that the righteousness of God has now been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And what is this righteousness? Well, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's focused there upon the gospel. And the heart of the gospel is Christ himself. Mm-hmm. You know, the gospel is not about uh, a pathway as, uh, uh, so much as it's about a person. Right. It's about Christ. He's the center of our faith. Uh, uh, Christianity without Christ is not Christianity at all. I like to think about it this way. So if you think about the solas, you have sola. So think about it in terms of our faith. Right. So our faith that kind of as a central aspect of what it means to be a Christian is you have faith. Well, what is the ground of our faith? The ground of our faith is the scripture alone. Right. So there's sola scriptura. What is the um, the uh, I guess we might say uh, mechanism or what is faith itself? And there's where you get into sola gratia and sola Fide, uh, sola gratia, uh, 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 d- defining faith as something other than a work, mm-hmm. and then sola fide, defining it as that instrumental means by which we take hold of Christ, Christ alone, who is the object of our faith. Yeah. And so when we're talking about this um, issue, this particular tenet, solus Christus, we're focused on, well, what is it that is the object of our th- our faith. Uh, I used, I think I used the illustration last time. I, I can't recall if I got to this or not in the last uh, uh, the podcast that we did on sola fide. But uh, to think about faith like uh, a mouth that receives food or think about it like an ear that receives sound waves or like an eye that receives uh, light waves, mm-hmm. if they're waves, could be particles. It depends on your physics there. Uh, maybe it's both. But anyway, um, uh, it, so faith is a receptacle. What does it receive? It receives Christ. It receives the person and the work of Christ, the whole Christ um, in all of his glory. Mm-hmm. That's the heart of our of our faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the object of our faith. 
it's it's really it's not even it's not really true to say we're we're saved because of our faith. There's a sense in which that's true if you get into Aristotelian categories for causality, but but the way we use the term cause today more often than the most often I guess or common way that we would use the word cause, we would think about it in terms of a meritorious or the substantial cause, the the efficient cause. Uh, when we think about the the cause of our salvation, really it's not our faith, but it's Christ. Mm-hmm. It's Him, His person, His work. Uh, he's the one who has who has saved us. Yeah, I, I, I've heard it described that faith is the invisible hand that receives Christ offered. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and it's so important, I think, to recognize that uh, this is faith in a person. Faith mm-hmm. always has an object. Mm-hmm. It has to have an object. When you say, I believe, you, you, you immediately run to the idea of you believe what, or you believe in what, or in whom. Right. <laughs> so we're talking about here um, that in whom we have placed our trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a person, mm-hmm. and by extension, what that person has done. And, and that's where I was going to go with the, the conversation. Right, and yeah, yeah, and that's what was my next point is, okay, so we've seen in Scripture at least a couple of passages, uh, maybe three, that, that establish the reality that it's in Christ alone. But let's go deeper. Let's ask ourselves, uh, searching the Scriptures, why? Why must it be Christ alone? Why? Why not in the name of love and in the name of acceptance, in the name of multiculturalism, uh, embrace many paths to heaven, many paths to eternal life? Why must it be? Aside from the obvious, the Bible says it. But, but what, what I'm getting at is what does the Bible, why does the Bible say it must be Christ alone? So go ahead, Corey, share your thoughts there. Well, going to back to what you said, it's, faith in Christ and what he's done. Mm-hmm. So how that's usually described as is his active and his passive obedience. Mm-hmm. And I think that modern evangelicalism, usually what they think about Christ and his um, redeeming his people is only through the cross. It's just through his taking upon the sin of the world on himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also his active obedience. It's his fulfilling of the law. And like you said, the reason why it's important that it's twofold, his active obedience, him obeying the law, and his passive obedience taking upon uh, sin, he who knew no sin became sin for us, is because of the covenant that God made with Adam in the garden. Right. Adam and all his posterity. We see that in Genesis 3, that God is very good. He's created man in his image, and uh, he has given them grace to condescend to them you know think of the the potter speaking to his creation the clay he he was not obligated to condescend to us but even in his love he condescends to them and says if you obey you will inherit eternal life um, glorified life yeah i i I think that there's uh, an importance of establishing this this the whole thing is systemic right it's that is to say, it's all connected. Yeah. And um, it, it's kind of like, uh, to use an analogy, it's like dominoes set up in a row. Right. Uh, you, the moment you, you embrace one idea, it has implications for other things. And conversely, when you reject or, or embrace uh, contrary ideas, that's going to have a wave effect of, of going through. So when we talk about uh, Christ being 
the one in whom we place our trust and no one else. Uh, it, it goes backwards and forwards. It goes backwards to Genesis. It goes backwards to uh, the time of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden. But it also goes forward to the fullness of what God is doing uh, to bring a people to the place of glorification and uh, confirms holiness. Um, Jay, do you have any thoughts that you'd like to share on that? Uh, maybe even teasing out this idea of uh, active and passive obedience of Christ. Yeah, um, so as sinners, we can't save ourselves. That, that's a, it's, a, it's a fundamental uh, teaching of Scripture. Um, uh, there, there really aren't any Christian or so-called Christian denominations. Uh, and when I say so-called, I'm thinking in terms of maybe the Roman Catholic Church today that would deny that. Um, no one believes that sinners can save themselves. Everyone, everyone's going to say that we need uh, God's work uh, in order to be to be saved. Uh, the question is: uh, Is God's work sufficient? Uh, is it complete? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what Christ did for us uh, is it. Uh, is it enough? Um, and uh, when you look, for instance, at the Roman Catholic uh, conception of salvation, you, you find uh, that uh, what they're teaching is this kind of um, uh, combination of, of, yeah, Christ has provided uh, a way, but you also need the work of, for instance, the Pope. You need the work of uh, the rest of the priests as they do their priestly work. Um, uh, you need all of this as well. The, the, you need the grace coming through these, uh, these uh, vehicles, uh, through the sacraments, uh, in, order to, in order to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so as Protestants, we, we would teach uh, that... No, there's nothing to be added to the work of Christ. Christ has completed uh, all that's necessary for our salvation, both in terms of uh, his active obedience, that is, that he's obeyed all of God's law positively uh, for us. He's done what Adam failed to do, and therefore he's merited eternal life. And also in terms of what theologians have oftentimes called his passive obedience, that he's suffered the curse uh, that we've uh, been brought under because of Adam's sin. So um, uh, Christ has not only done what Adam failed to do, but he's also undid what Adam did uh, so that we might be uh, reconciled to God, so we might be forgiven our sins, justified in his sight, yeah. uh, in God's sight, and reconciled to God. And that's a complete work. It's a total work. So um, uh, our faith in Christ alone is uh, the moment we, so here, the moment we believe in Christ, all of His work is credited to us. Hmm. Uh, there's not uh, there's not a process to go through in order to be more and more justified. Mm-hmm. I don't need to add add something that I'm doing or something that a priest is doing to the work of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a complete work. It's a finished work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Him alone are the ground of our salvation. I think mm-hmm. that's the the essential. Mm-hmm. 
the essential idea. Sure. I, I've used the analogy before, and I think it's helpful of thinking about like a job interview. Say that upon you uh, passing the job interview, you earn eternal life. So you go in there, and when you bring out your resume, it doesn't look like a resume. It looks like a rap sheet, okay, <laughs> to where that instead of giving you the job, quote-unquote, they throw you in prison. Right. But rather, when we think about the twofold aspects of Christ's work, his passive and his active obedience, if it were merely just his passive obedience, when we go in there and lay down the resume, it's blank. There's nothing on it. But because of Christ's perfect obedience to the law of God, we have the best resume ever, and we're welcome with open arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could st- stretch that out and say, so in, in Christ's death, what theologians call his passive obedience on our behalf, the rap sheet is erased. Right. And then in his active obedience, his keeping of the law perfectly on behalf of his people mm-hmm. Uh, not just to demonstrate he is a righteous lamb that's worthy to be our substitute, but also keeping the covenant uh, on behalf of his people. He gives us that resume that's stellar and shiny. Um, I, I think that's a very vital aspect to this. And in, in, in many respects, it's two sides of one coin. Um, I'm drawn to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 where he's talking about how he, as a Jew who was reared in Pharisaical Judaism, as we would call it, um, having found Christ, considers all his attempts at trying to be righteous by his own merit, considers it rubbish. And, And he finds righteousness not in what he has done personally, but what Christ has done for him and the righteousness God gives to him. Let me read what Paul says here. He says, Yet indeed, and I'm reading from Philippians 3, uh, verse 8 and following, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now, the things he's talking about in this context as being rubbish are his own works, his own works according to the law of Moses, his own effort to um, show himself worthy of God's favor. And he says, that, that's just rubbish. It's trash. I throw it away. And I throw it away so that I may gain Christ rather than myself. And he goes on in verse 9, and be found, notice, in him, in Jesus not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith. There's the sola fide, right? In Christ, there's the solo Christo or solus Christus, the righteousness which is from God. There's sola gratia mm-hmm. by faith. Mm-hmm. And then sola fide again. Um, so here he says, the reality is that his righteousness is that which is imputed to him, given to him by God. It's not something he's done, not something he's earned. Nothing he can boast in. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I think part of the reason for this, just logically, is that no man can be perfect. Right. I mean, that's really what it boils down to, doesn't it, guys? I right. mean, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. 
that we are to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Now there Jesus is talking about uh, emulating God's uh, gracious character even towards one's enemies. But nevertheless, there's this, this general principle that God is perfect. Mm. His law holds forth perfection. Mm. And so the only way, hypothetically speaking, the only way that someone could truly be accepted by God on the basis of law is to be perfect. Right. And who's perfect? It yeah. goes back to, to, to Adam. We're born in sin. We're conceived in sin. Mm-hmm. We're righteous. No, not one. That's right. <laughs> and, and we live our own uh, lives uh, flowing from that original sin. We commit acts of sin. And even the most righteous person, as we would measure it in the world, still is not a perfect person. And, you know, even the world says that. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody's perfect. Right. Right. You're only human, right? Mm-hmm. We hear these kinds of adages all the time. And I think it's it's something within us that we understand to be human, uh, this side of the fall at least, is to be an imperfect person. Mm-hmm. But instead of people realizing that that imperfection means we need a righteousness that comes from God, not ourselves, we we lower the bar. Mm-hmm. And we say, well, then, you know, because God is love, which of course he is, he grades on a curve. Uh, all he expects of us is for us to do our very best. And as long as we've done our very best and been sincere, it's enough. But the problem is that denies God's holiness. Mm-hmm. And it denies His God's justice. justice. Yeah. That's right. right. His righteousness. And so God just can't bypass his justice and righteousness. He must meet that justice out. And that's where the cross comes in. Jesus bore the penalty for mm-hmm. our sin mm-hmm. to remove that wicked record. But also he kept obedience to the law. Mm. And that righteous record that he has is imputed to us. That mm-hmm. is the, that's not to say that we become Jesus. And it's, it's not to say that it's somehow infused in us like some object. But mm-hmm. it is to say that God considers the righteousness of Christ to be our righteousness. Right. The Lord himself will be our righteousness. That's right. Yeah. Going back to Jeremiah right? Yeah. Right. Uh, and the Old Testament prophets, um, Ezekiel as well. Um, the whole reality that Christ is our righteousness. God and and our we righteousness. even see this in the garden too. You know, with the first sacrifice that was ever made. In their nakedness and their shame, God makes a sacrifice and clothes both Adam and Eve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a foreshadowing of Christ's perfect blood put on us mm-hmm. for that we are covered and not naked and ashamed for what we've done. That's right. right. Well, now we need to start wrapping this up because I'm looking at the clock and seeing we're almost out of time here. But I, mm-hmm. I think it's important just by way of closing this off, just to make a brief comment about the reality of, of multiculturalism and uh, you know the spirit of acceptance. Surely, in society, I think there's a sense in which we need to be tolerant. Mm-hmm. We need to be accepting of people. Uh, this is not advocating any kind of sense of, of uh, superiority or treating people with contempt. But it is to say that when it comes to the issue of eternal life, it's a non-negotiable that the only way we can approach the Father and be received by Him is to be received in the person and work of Jesus. Mm. And no other religion, no other philosophy, no other attempt will satisfy Mm. because God is holy. And God has appointed uh, this means where where one who is perfect substitutes to receive in himself body and soul the penalty our sins deserve and to give unto us because he is God the Son 
uh, by imputation, a righteous standing. Yeah. And therefore we're accepted in the beloved, as, as Paul says. Mm. Uh, closing comments, guys, you want to make about this issue? I think everything that we have as Christians, every good and perfect gift has come down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And it's ours by virtue of our union with Christ. So there, there's, there's nothing good to have as a fallen creature, as a sinful creature in this world, nothing that's ultimately good, ultimately satisfying to have apart from faith union with Christ. So every spiritual blessing that we enjoy and eventually every physical blessing that we will enjoy in the new heavens and the new earth um, has come to us and will come to us through our union with Christ. He is our salvation. And anytime you move, you move the uh, object of our faith or you, 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 you turn your eyes to something else uh, besides Christ and Christ alone, you've gone down the road, uh, a, a, a road, a path that, that doesn't lead uh, to eternal life. It leads somewhere else completely. In spite of what we might think. In spite of what we might think, or, that's or right. That what people would hope would be different. Uh, that's right. We have to accept, going back to Sola Scriptura, we have to accept the Word as our authority. And that's what the Word says. Yeah. Corey, you have any yeah. thoughts? Yeah, um, even though we've already alluded it to uh, with Adam, but just to make abundantly clear that the promise of uh, trusting in Christ alone is not just for us New Testament believers, but this is for all saints, mm. for all time in the Old Testament to now, to the end of the world, that it's only through Christ alone uh, that we can be reconciled to God. And we see all throughout the Old Testament scriptures of uh, types and shadows pointing to its fulfillment in Christ. So just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, mm -hmm. what he was believing in was not just, uh, he wasn't merited righteousness just by his believing, but that it was through the offspring that would come from the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, mm -hmm. and that's Christ. Mm -hmm. He alone has done it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's, I think that's a helpful reminder, too, that this is not just a New Testament thing, that this has been through every age of redemptive history, even the Old Testament. While, while certainly the Old Testament Jews didn't have this, the kind of clarity that we have, mm -hmm. nevertheless, they understood the, the basic message of the gospel, uh, such as was spoken to Abraham, and Abraham then spoke unto his son, the Lord himself will provide a lamb, my son. Yeah. I mean, he, he may not under, have understood the incarnation. He may have not have understood the reality of the cross, but he understood the idea of substitution by a sinless sacrifice. Right, right. And it even goes, like you said, Corey, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, mm -hmm. uh, that this one that would come from the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Let's Hank, before we finish up, can yeah. I recommend a book real quick? Go ahead. The Whole Christ, Sinclair Ferguson. Buy it, read it, profit by it. All it's right. very good, excellent on this issue. The Whole Christ by very Sinclair Ferguson. Very good. All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to end this uh, edition of our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us. And we want to cordially invite you, if you happen to be in our neck of the woods, if you're in uh, southwestern uh, Virginia, maybe coming through the I-81 corridor, 
uh, our church uh, at Providence uh, OPC uh, located in Chilhowie is just off exit 35. If you happen to be in eastern Kentucky, uh, certainly uh, pay a visit to the Neon Reform Presbyterian Church. Jay would love to have you uh, come and worship with them uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, we have websites as well. You can find out full, uh, full information about our worship services and our place of meetings uh, by just uh, googling us or using some other search engine to find our websites. We thank you for joining us, and we, we, uh, we hope that God gives you a good day, and we hope you'll be back with us soon for our next edition of the Geneva Mountain Boys. Mm-hmm.